hey everybody, welcome to Eagleburg Church. Really good to have you with us today. I want to welcome those of you at all of our campuses as well. It was quite the week in the life of our nation. Huge upset on Tuesday night. I mean, honestly, one that I didn't see coming at all. Of course, I'm referring to the Timberwolves' 110-119 loss to the Brooklyn Nets. <laughs> the Brooklyn Nets? I mean, come on, I, I had that penciled as a win. I, I couldn't believe that. But there was also an election on Tuesday night that no doubt you were following as well. And judging by the social media feeds that I've seen and what I've talked to people, and my guess is that there are some of you that are thrilled, there are some of you that are devastated, and there are many of you who are someplace in between. And so I just want to share with you three reminders, three truths about how God says each of us as followers of Christ should relate to our government. And I wrote these before the election results came in because it didn't matter who won. These things have always been true and will always be true. And so the first reminder is this, that God is in control. I said this last weekend, but it bears repeating again today. We elect a president every four years. Jesus Christ isn't elected. He's the Alpha and Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He has always been and he always will be. No matter who sits in the Oval Office, Jesus Christ sits on the throne of heaven ruling over the world. He's been doing it for thousands upon thousands of years. God is in control. Second reminder for you is that 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 2, says that we are to pray for our elected officials, that we should pray for those who are elected to high levels of leadership positions in our government. Over the last eight years or so, I have periodically prayed for President Obama, and not just the president, but also the House and the Senate as well. And I want to invite you over the next four years to pray for the president and all of our local elected officials, that God would give them wisdom and he would give them guidance in leading our country. And I would particularly say this is true if the person that you voted for didn't win. That's the time to humble yourself before God and say, God, I pray that you would fill our elected officials with the wisdom and the guidance they need to lead our country and our state. Third reminder, is that in John 17, Jesus prays for his followers. And he prays that we would have one thing. It's unity. He says, my prayer for the church is that you would be unified with one another. In a world where seemingly people get labeled all the time into different voting demographics, and they're not treated as individuals, they're just lumped into a voting demographic, and those voting demographics are pitted against one another. Males and females, blacks and whites, Asians and Hispanics, educated and uneducated, on and on it goes. Jesus says that when I look at my church, my prayer is that there would be unity. Not unity in a political candidate, not unity in a political platform or party, but that there would be unity in the fact that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, that Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and that all who put their faith in him will have eternal life. Jesus says, that's my prayer for the church, that we can have political opinions and we can talk about important political issues, but that when the world looks at the church, they would go, those people love each other, and those people are humble enough to listen to one another. 
and they're gentle in their tone and how they speak to each other. And it doesn't matter if they're male or female, black or white, Asian, Hispanic, educated or uneducated. They have a unity that is found in Jesus Christ. That is my prayer for our church. And I believe in the next five or ten years, as the world potentially gets more divided, that people will be looking for a place where they see that kind of unity. And so how can each one of us take personal responsibility to say, I want to pursue unity with other followers of Christ above everything else? Those are the three reminders. That God is in control, that we are to pray for our elected officials, and that we can have a unity found in Jesus Christ that isn't found in any other part of the world. Amen for those things? All right, well, we're going to continue on this weekend then in our series called One Life. And I think it's been a great series so far. We've called it One Life because that's what God cares about. He cares about the one life. In fact, I want to begin by asking you a question. What would God search for? What do you think God values so much that he would actively go out and try and find it? Over the last few months or so, I've seen a lot of Americans searching for something. I see them walking along with their head down, and I don't get it at all. Take a look at the side screens. Well, hey, Eaglebrook, we're here at Como Zoo, and for the last couple of months, I've noticed that there's a lot of people searching for something. I see them walking through the mall, I see them walking along the street, and they've got their face stuck into their phone. And I'm wondering, what are you searching for? What are you looking for? The answer is Pokemon Go. It's one of the most popular apps and games that's ever been released, and I don't get it at all. And so we have brought in one of the world's foremost experts on Pokemon Go. This person is a genius and is gonna teach me how to play this game. We were lucky enough to have him in our state and in our church. His name is Mitchell Folks. Mitchell, how old are you? Um, I'm eight. You're eight years old, and what do you like about this game? I like this game because it turns your everyday environment into a GPS-controlled video game. Let's get started. <laughs> You'll need to find and collect Pokemon for everywhere. So is that the point of the game? We're trying to collect Pokemon? Yeah, we're trying to collect Pokemon so that we can be um, a Pokemon master and um, just brag about it pretty much. Oh, okay, so that's what this whole point of this game is, is to be able to brag and boast to our friends. I get yep. it now. All right, so this, I just fire this at him? Yep. I feel like I'm firing it right at it, and it's, she, well, she's mocking me right you, now. But... She's mocking me. Look at her. I see another one, this little yellow guy right here. Who's he? Um, He's called a drowsy. So down, Drowsy was caught of Did you 600. almost call him Donald Trump? No, I called him Drowsy. But you it is almost the day called him Donald Trump. It is the day after the election. Maybe there is a Donald yeah. Trump Pokemon <laughs> out here someplace. All right, I'm up to level three. I don't know what level you're on, but I'm just rolling I'm on here. level 14. Okay. What do you think about teenagers? I think they're boss. Boss? <laughs> what does that mean? And Pokemon Go. Oh, are they, that means they're really good at it? Yeah. What do you, how would you describe me as a Pokemon Go player? Noob. New? Noob. Noob? Yeah. So I'm a noob and a teenager's a boss. Yep. Cool. I got a Nidoran. Nidoran. Nidoran? Yeah, That's how you it's, pronounce it's, it? yeah, it's Japanese. Oh. Do you know Japanese? No. Oh. Not at all. I'm on level four. Great. I'm cruising. Come on. Hoorah! <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. If you go closer, there's a super strong Pokemon. It's called a Pidgeot. He'll be great for you. Here, will you get her for me? No. You won't? You're done I'm doing sorry. That? Okay, you got your yeah, own. Yeah, you have you to do it. You got things to do. I have my own super hard Pokemon. You got your own things to worry about. See oh, the female I see lion? It. I see it. 
She wishes she had a GPS capability so <laughs> yeah. she could step into a virtual environment. And start eating Pokemon. Start eating Pokemon. Oh, hey, I got one of those crab guys. Cool, I got crabby. Mm -hmm. I'm not crabby, I mean, I mean that's not, I'm not personally crabby right now, yeah, but I, I got, I captured crabby. Yeah, yeah. Once you walk enough, your eggs will hatch, and this is what will happen. It'll say O with the egg, and then you tap, and then it'll start doing this. And then a Pokemon appears. Yay, I caught a Magikarp, the weakest Pokemon in the game. I feel good. <laughs> Have you ever been playing Pokemon and all of a sudden you just like walk into something? Like you're so focused and you ran into a pole? I haven't, but my brother definitely has. My brother was playing Pokemon Go and he accidentally fell down in his seat and hit someone. You're kidding. Because he was playing Pokemon Go. You're kidding. Yeah. I thought you were gonna run into that, but you're, you're pretty aware of your surroundings, aren't you? Yeah, yeah. I'm really aware. Do you think you'd have a better chance training him to play Pokemon Go or me? You think him? Okay. Yeah. I'll tell you what, that kid's gonna be our president someday, okay? I'll just warn you right now, he's gonna be the president someday. Uh, thank you to him for being along on that video shoot. Now, some of you watched that video and you go, I don't get it at all. But here's the point that I'm trying to illustrate to you. We search for what we value. If you value the game Pokemon Go, if you value games where you're out looking for something, then you're gonna search for Pokemon. If you don't value Pokemon Go, then you're not going to search for them. We search for what we value. Which brings me back to the question that I began with, what would God search for? What does God value so much that he would actively go out and try to find it? To answer that question, I want to take you to a teaching of Jesus found in Luke chapter 15. And before I get into the actual teaching, let me set the context here for you. In verse 1, it says this. Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. It says this made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with despicable people, even eating with them. So here's what group's happening. Jesus teaching, and there's two different groups of people who are listening. Group A is labeled notorious sinners. That's not the group you want to be in. And apparently it was predominantly made up of tax collectors, which might be a little confusing for us because we don't normally associate tax collectors with notorious sinners. But back in Jesus' day, a tax collector was a Jewish man who had been hired by the Roman government to take taxes from the Jews. And so if you were Jewish, you would look at a tax collector and you would go, you're a traitor. You take my money and you give it to Rome. On top of that, they would often take a little extra money off the top for themselves. So they were considered thieves as well. That was group A. Group B was the opposite of group A. They were religious leaders known as the Pharisees. And they were well respected in Jesus' day. This was the social elites. This was the upper class. And they cannot believe that Jesus would eat with, let alone associate with, group A. And so they start to complain about it. And look at how Jesus responds back to them. He says, if you had a hundred sheep, and one of them strayed away, wouldn't you leave the other 99 and go search for the lost one until you found it? 
And then you would joyfully carry it home on your shoulders. And when you arrived, you would call together your friends and neighbors to rejoice with you because your lost sheep was found. What would God search for? Lost people. What does God value? Lost people. God values every single human soul, so much so that he would leave the 99 and he would go searching for the one life. And just so we understand that Jesus isn't talking about sheep here, Jesus goes on and says, in the same way, heaven will be happier over one lost sinner who returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. Jesus says, I would drop everything for the one life. Now, what does this mean for us? It means that if you came to church today and you're not sure why. Ever had that where you'd go, I don't even really like church, but I'm, I'm here this weekend. Or somebody keeps inviting you and finally you said, yeah, okay, I'll come to church. Here's what really happened. God is searching for you. He loves you. He notices you. And if you would confess your sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ, all of heaven would throw a party. God would throw you up on his shoulders like a coach that just won the Super Bowl. And he would parade you through heaven because what was once lost has now been found. It means that if you have a son or a daughter, a mom or a dad, a family member or a friend who has begun to stray away from God, and you're anxious and you're worried about this, and you pray for them, it means that God is out searching for your son right now. He's out searching for your daughter. He's searching for your mom and for your dad, and he wants to seek and save the lost. Jesus was very clear about this. Look at what he says in Luke 19. He says, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Jesus Christ said, The Son of Man... Jesus Christ, I came to earth on a mission. And my mission was very simple. It was to seek and to save the lost. Unfortunately, many followers of Christ today have begun to drift from that mission. In fact, this past year, I read a book called Mission Drift. And it was a great book. And on page 16, the authors quoted the founding mission statement of a well-known university. And I want to read this mission statement to you and see if you can figure out which university it is. Here's the mission statement. To be plainly instructed and consider that the main end of your life and studies is to know God and Jesus Christ. What well-known university do you think had that as their founding mission statement? You think, well, maybe it's Northwestern over in St. Paul or Bethel in Arden Hills. It's got to be Wheaton College out in Illinois, or maybe it's some school down south, like Dallas Theological Seminary. It's none of those. It's from Harvard University. These days, Harvard is an elite institution with an unmatched academic reputation, but they no longer resemble their founding mission. In fact, 80 years after Harvard was founded, it had already begun to drift, a group of New England pastors, sensing this, decided that they were going to found their own Christian college. They were concerned about the secularization at Harvard, and so this new school would be a stronghold 
of Christian education. They found a wealthy philanthropist to fund their efforts in 1701. His name, Allahu Yale. Today, 350 years later, neither Yale nor Harvard resemble their founding mission. But here's the deal. They never held a mission change day where they announced that they were no longer about helping people know Jesus Christ, but now they were about being a secular university. They never announced that. Instead, they drifted slowly, gradually, and quietly they drifted. How does this apply to us? Well, it strikes me that Jesus Christ is the founder of our faith. And he had a mission. It was to seek and to save the lost. How many churches, how many followers of Christ today resemble that mission? I mean, if you go to some churches or you talk to some Christians, you would think that Jesus' primary mission was political to turn Republicans into Democrats or Democrats into Republicans. Talk to other Christians or go to other churches. And you would think that Jesus' mission was primarily about social justice issues, alleviating world hunger, poverty, that sort of thing. All important things. But Jesus' mission, in its purest and clearest form, was to seek and to save the lost. And he has given his followers that same mission today. In fact, in Matthew 28, Jesus gathers his followers together before he ascends back to heaven. And look at what he says. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. Jesus says, go. Don't just sit and watch someone else do this. You go make disciples. You go reach people for Christ. Some of us think, you know what, my life feels like it's missing something. I feel like there's an emptiness and I just don't know what my purpose is. I make money, I have a good job, I love my family. Jesus says, this is your mission. This is why I am putting you on planet earth. It is the purpose of your life to seek and to save the lost. Jesus is going to use you to reach people Christ. How is Jesus going to do that? Well, let me give you two ways. And for some of you, it's going to happen this week. For some of you, you don't even know it, but it's going to happen next week. God is going to use you to reach people for Christ. Here's how. First, God is going to supply you with everything that you need. Have you ever been to church before and heard a story or been talking to a Christian and heard the story of how they led another person to faith in Christ? Sometimes it can be a little bit intimidating, can't it? I mean, I've been in church before, and I'll hear stories that are kind of like, a person will say, well, I was sitting on the plane, and I opened up my Bible, and the guy next to me goes, what are you reading? I said, it's a Bible. You want to know what it says? He goes, I do. So I led him to faith in Christ. And then the guy sitting by the window seat, he was a Muslim cleric. And he goes, what are you guys talking about over there? So we're talking about Jesus. He said, well, I want to know Jesus. So we led him to faith in Christ. Then the flight attendant stopped by. And she offered me some pretzels. And I said, you know, pretzels are great, but can I offer you eternal life? And she said, yes, I want eternal life. So I led her to faith in Christ. And then the plane hit some turbulence. It was really bad. So the flight attendant came and got me. And I got on the loudspeaker. 
and I led the whole plane in a prayer of salvation to confess their sins in that moment. And then before we landed, the pilot got on and said he was no longer an atheist, but he was now following Jesus Christ as well. And if you're like me, you're listening to this and you're going, well, I can't do that. I mean, I'm nervous to take my Bible out on the plane for fear someone's going to ask me a question. But here's what I wonder. I wonder how many of us are missing out on our purpose in life because we don't think we have what it takes. We say, well, I'm not a Bible scholar and I'm not very good at answering people's questions and I'm not real good with people. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not. Here's the deal. You may say I'm not, but Jesus Christ says I am. I am able to do more than you have ever asked or imagined. Now, I know that's true, but can I just tell you how often I mess this up? I was at a doctor's appointment this summer, and my doctor was being shadowed by a 25-year-old medical school student. And at one point, my doctor said, are you speaking this weekend? And so the medical school student goes, oh, are you a pastor? I said, yeah, I am. I said, do you have a church that you go to? Which is a great question, by the way. I mean, it's very non-threatening, kind of gets the conversation started. She goes, no, my grandma used to drag me to the Catholic church when I was growing up, but she said I never got anything out of it. And so when I had a chance to choose, I said, I'm not going to church ever again, and I haven't. You want to know how I responded back to her? Ah, <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, oh, yeah, uh, yeah, awesome. Okay, yeah. I could have said so many good things. I could have said, you know what, our church is full of people who walked away from church for a period of time, but have made their way back to God through Jesus Christ. I could have said, you know, it sounds like you rejected religion, but what do you think about Jesus? I could have said, our church teaches the Bible in a way that is relevant and applicable to your life. Eaglebrookchurch.com, check it out. But instead, I just sat there with my tongue hanging out. Now, this might surprise you, but I'm not as good at this as you might think. I'm not a super outgoing person. I don't love small talk with strangers. But here's what I want. I want God to use my life. I want God to use my life to make an eternal impact and not just an earthly one. I want other people to experience the same love and purpose that I found in Christ 19 years ago. And so I pray for boldness. And I pray that God would make me a light to the people around me. Last year, when my son Hudson was in second grade, about partway through the year, he got a permanent substitute teacher. And I found this out because a week later, I was about to throw out some pickle juice, and Hudson goes, no, 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 don't throw that out, I'll drink that. I said, when did you start drinking pickle juice? He said, well, that's Miss Wallstrom's favorite. And that became a popular topic around our house. He would say, Dad, have you ever had Zot's candy? I said, I've never even heard of them. He said, well, that's Miss Wallstrom's favorite. Then I saw him doing a second book report on animals. I said, Hudson, I thought you already did a book report on animals. He said, yeah, I know, I'm doing another one. I said, are you required to do another book report on animals? He said, no, but Miss Wallstrom said we could if we wanted to. This is very strange behavior from a second grade boy. 
But it reminds me of the influence that a loving teacher can have on a student's life. I later got to know Miss Wallstrom and found out that she goes to our church. And she told me that for about a decade, she had been saying no to substitute teaching jobs. She was just very anxious and nervous about going back to the classroom. But her husband urged her to take this job, and so she did. And she told me that the first day that she got into class, all the kids were down at lunch. And she walked into that empty classroom, and she said, I have never felt more nervous and anxious in my life. She said, I looked over, and I saw a little post-it note that some kid had put, uh, placed on their desk. She said, written on the post-it note was, I love God. And love was spelled L-U-V. She said, I grabbed that note because I believed that God had put it there just for me as a reminder that he was going to be with me and he was going to use me in this classroom. She said, I was anxious to see who this kid was that would write, I love God, and then stick it to his desk. It was my son, Hudson. Hudson is in third grade this year and he's attending a new school. He's at Calvin Christian School, and he absolutely loves it. But to say goodbye, Mrs. Wallstrom wrote him a note. And I want to read part of the note to you because I think it's applicable for each one of us here today. She says this, Thank you, Hudson, for reminding me that God loves me. I carried your note with me the entire year. It meant more to me than you know. I'll bet you are starting to get some school supplies together for school. You have the greatest supply already with you. God, and he shines in you. You are a light to me, so shine on, my friend, at that new school. I love how she says you have the greatest supply that you need already. Friends, God has given you everything that you need to do everything that he has called you to do. There's going to come a moment in the future when you're going to step out and you're going to start talking to someone about a faith in Christ. And they're going to ask you a hard question from the Bible. And you're going to go, I don't have an answer to that. And all of a sudden, words are just going to start coming out of your mouth, and they're going to be smart. <laughs> and you're going to go, whoa, that was God speaking through me. And there's going to come a moment when you are going to invite someone to church, and you're going to be nervous, and you're going to think they're going to say no. And they're going to go, oh, yeah. I've actually been thinking about going to a church lately. And you're going to go, oh, wow, God. You chose to work through me. But if you never have those conversations, if you never extend those invitations, you never experience what it's like to have God Almighty working through your life. Listen to what Paul says about this in 1 Corinthians. He says, my message and my preaching were very plain I did not use wise and persuasive speeches, but the Holy Spirit was powerful among you. He says, I wasn't that eloquent. I wasn't that articulate. But can I just tell you that the power of God was working through me? Friends, God has supplied you with everything that you need to do everything that God has called you to do. It's the first way he's going to use some of you this week or next week. The second way he's going to work through you to reach people for Christ is this. God has strategically placed you around lost people. I want you to think about this. When you walk into your school and you sit down at that desk, 
or you go to the gym and work out, or you walk into your office building, my guess is that there's going to be at least one person around you who for them, it would take a miracle to get them in front of a pastor like me. And you sit next to them every single day. God has strategically placed you around lost people. My friend Kevin was driving into work this summer and he began to pray that God would open his eyes and help him notice people who are far from God. And that's where it starts, by the way. Praying, God, help me notice the people who need you the most. When he got done praying, he looked up and saw a car pulled over along the side of the road. Hood up, smoke coming out of the engine. How about that for a quick answer to prayer? But right as he thinks he should pull over, another voice pops into his head. And that voice says, you, you got so much to do at work today. You're so busy. You don't have time to stop and help that person. Just get into work. What are people going to think if you show up a little bit late? Here's the deal. Every time you are about to do something significant for God, you will hear a little voice in your head telling you why you shouldn't do it. Do not listen to that voice. Kevin didn't. He pulled over and this high school student got out of the car. And he said, my radiator hose popped off, my engine's overheating. Which if that were me, I'd be like, here's my phone, call a tow truck. But Kevin knows cars. And so God had Kevin there. And he fixes the radiator hose and he drives this high school student to Target to get some coolant. And as they're driving to Target, this high school student mentions that he's starting college down in Texas in a few months. And Kevin says back to him very insightfully, he says, you know, college was really hard for me. I made some bad choices at the beginning. It wasn't until a school counselor loved me and cared about me enough to lead me into a relationship with Jesus Christ that things began to change. And this high school student was interested. Kevin simply shared his story. Anyone can do this. The story of what God is doing in your life. And then Kevin goes, you know, I get these devotionals sent to my phone from Eagle Brook Church. They're free. Do you want me to sign you up for them? And so the high school kid hands him his phone. And Kevin signs him up. So now there's some random college student down in Texas reading our devotions every day. And before he went back to college, Kevin took him out to lunch, gave him a Bible. High school student said, I've never owned my own Bible before. Here's my point. God did not have me drive by that high school student along the side of the road. He had Kevin do that. And in the same way, God does not have me sitting next to that kid in science class who's lonely and feels like he doesn't have any friends. God does not have me in that break room sitting next to that woman who's going through a divorce and desperately needs to hear about the love of Jesus Christ. God has you sitting next to that person. And God wants to use you. Look what Paul says about this in 2 Corinthians 5. He says, we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. In other words, you don't just work in IT. You're an ambassador of Jesus Christ strategically placed in the IT department. You don't just work in HR or sales or as a teacher. You are an ambassador for Christ strategically placed in that office or in that classroom. And God wants to use you. This past summer, 
our family went to Valley Fair for my 11-year-old's birthday, and towards the end of the day, we went on the Thunder Canyon ride. And the line was like six rows deep. It was a half-hour wait. And I couldn't help but notice the woman next to me kept looking over and smiling at us. And so finally she goes, are you a local pastor? Turns out she had been to Eagle Brook five years before, but only a couple of times. And so she said to me, she said, you know, I don't go to church anymore. I'm not really a church-going kind of person. I said, well, our church is for non-church-going kind of people. You should come. And so she asked about our addiction recovery ministry called Quest 180, and then she jumped on the ride and floated away. I thought, I'll never see her again. A few days later, she emailed, and her story is remarkable. She started drinking at the age of 12. Her parents were divorced. There was no one to protect her or to instruct her, but she's quite a remarkable person. And so she got a college diploma, and she has a beautiful family. But even though she was a self-avowed atheist, she said, you know, there's something missing in my life. I can't put my finger on it. And I recognize that my drinking is getting out of control. And so I emailed her back and I said, would you be willing to meet with my wife for coffee before our Quest 180 and then you guys could go together? By the way, if possible, always bring someone to church. Don't just say, yeah, you should check out Eagle Brook. Tell them, I'll meet you at the 11 o'clock service. I'll pick you up. Coming to church for the first time is very intimidating. And so they got together for coffee. And since that time, we've brought her to church. We've had some really incredible conversations about God face-to-face and over email. And I don't know where this is going to go. But here's what I do know. What are the odds that we would be at Valley Fair on the same day of the same week? What are the odds that we would be standing in line together at 2.15? Not 2.10, not 2.20. And not just a few people away or a few rows away, but right next to one another. And what are the odds that she would recognize me, even though she hadn't been to our church in years? And that she would email, and I would email back, and that she would go to coffee with my wife. I don't know what the odds of that are. But what it looks like to me is that God left the 99 and went after the one life. And there are some of you here today, and that is what God is doing to you. He has been searching for you. He loves you. He notices you. And he wants a relationship with you. See, here's what I believe, friends. I believe in heaven and hell. And if you believe in heaven and you believe in hell, what could be more urgent than helping another person step across the line of faith and have eternal life in Christ? There's nothing. God wants to use you to do this. How is he gonna do it? Well, we're gonna make it very simple. On November 26th and 27th, the weekend after Thanksgiving, so two weeks from today, we are kicking off a brand new series called What Keeps You Up at Night. It's a great title. I mean, I've never met somebody who doesn't have at least one thing that bothers them and keeps them up at night. Week one is conflict and criticism. So many of us lay awake and we go, I can't believe they said that to me. And I wish I would have said this to them. Or we start to have conflict. I mean, I can get through anything in life, but if I'm having conflict with loved ones, that keeps me up at night. That's week one. Week two is fear. What are you afraid of? What are you fearful of? God wants to set you free from that. Week three is kids. 
If I were to ask the parents what keeps you up at night, you would say, my kids. They're jumping into bed, they're crying, I can't get them to sleep. Others of you would say, you know what? I lay awake and I'm worried about the direction my son or daughter's going. And I wonder what I did wrong and what I can do different. If you know somebody who's a parent, loves their kids, but doesn't have a church that they attend, you will never find a better weekend to invite them to church than week three. Week four is too much to do. How many of us say, boy, I'm just too busy. I got so much to do at work. I got so much to do at home. Keeps me up at night. Week five is Christmas, and it's what happens next. We live our life here on earth. We die. What happens after that? It keeps people up at night. This is going to be an incredible series. And here's what you need to know about our church. We know that every weekend somebody has invited a friend for the first time. We expect that. We plan for that. In fact, I remember when I finally got one of my high school friends to come to church. And I forgot to tell him how to dress. And so he came wearing a three-piece suit. And at the time, I went to a church that met in a gymnasium with no air conditioning. And it was the middle of August. And so when we finally sat down from worship, he was just dripping. And then it was Missionary Sunday. And bless their hearts, but they just droned on trying to raise support. And I thought, why God? Last week was so good. Why couldn't you have come last week? Have you ever had that before? Where you finally get that person to come to church and it's screwy Sunday. <laughs> and you're like, why didn't you tell me it was going to be screwy Sunday? And so there's the woman who comes out of the woodwork during worship and she's got the tambourine, you know, and she's like dancing around. And you're like, I don't even think God likes that, okay? <laughs> but I, I just brought a friend and that's kind of weird. Or, or, or the pastor says, you know what, lock the doors. Nobody's leaving until we raise money for this organ. And you're like, oh, no. It's screwy Sunday. Here's our commitment to you. No screwy Sundays. We want every weekend to be a weekend that you can be proud to invite your friends to church. And this will especially be true for the Christmas series. As you leave today, grab some of these invite cards in the lobby. Grab a whole bunch and bring someone to church with you for those five weeks. Just say to them, hey, got a great series. What keeps you up at night? Give it five weeks and see what God might want to do in your life. Jesus Christ said, I came to seek and save the lost. And that is the mission he's giving every one of us as well. Let's all stand together as we pray at our campuses. Lord Jesus, there may be someone here today who feels lost and doesn't really know you in a personal kind of way. But you've been searching for them, God, and you've brought them here this weekend, and you love them, you notice them. And I pray that this can be the moment where they surrender their life to Jesus Christ. And they know once and for all that you are real and that they would have a relationship with you through faith in Jesus Christ. And God, you have given all of us a mission. And it's not to spread a political viewpoint. It's, it's not to spread 
anything else other than God to seek and to save the lost. That's the primary mission for which you sent Jesus Christ to earth, and it's the mission you've given all of us. And God, I believe that you want to use every single person here to make an eternal impact in another person's life. And sometimes it's just as simple as an invitation or a conversation. God, I pray right now that you would use us this week and next week to bring people to church and that in those weekends people would experience your love and your presence in a way that maybe they never have before. God, I pray for that son. I pray for that daughter. I pray for that family member or friend who is far from you that you would go before us right now and prepare them for that invitation and that they would be open to it in their heart. God, we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Grab some of those invite cards as you leave. Have a great day, everybody.